Well, good morning, everyone. Um, <laughs> I love that part. I did too. That's so fun. Can I, I just, do it I, again. Do it again. <laughs> Come on, do it again. One more time. You do it. No, no. Good morning, everyone. Yay! This is so fun. All right. Ah, so so much affirmation yeah. and love. I love it. Because I gotta tell you, I've been telling my students all morning. I'm mostly mad. Like right now, I'm just mostly mad. Because you gave them a specific instruction of what well, to do I, when you took the stage. I mean, I said like boo and throw stuff. I don't. I mean, I'm like the last five days I've been mad, Justin. I mean, this is the yeah. only. Not at them. They're wonderful. They're the only thing keeping me sort of sane right now. But I, I realized <laughs> last night actually through a friend of mine that with my family overseas in Scotland on a homeschool semester abroad right now, I've been without my people for like four weeks since fall break, and I'm mostly mad. I was at a retreat this weekend, leading a whole church retreat, and. They were getting into all this stuff. They're like, well, you know, Capstone, if we allow for women in ministry, we're going to allow for gay people in ministry. Next is a slippery slope. And I just looked at him and I said, that is exegetically and sociologically lazy and just flat dumb. And I was like, what's happening to me? I'm just mad. So I hope it doesn't translate today in chapel for you, Justin. Uh, too late for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right. I'm just kidding. In all seriousness, uh, so we actually called a little bit of an audible for this morning, last night, and um, it, it was planned for just to have uh, uh, Peter to be sharing uh, really just kind of as, as a typical message and just having him up here. But we were uh, dialoguing a little bit last night about some of the content yeah. of where to, where to continue yeah. this conversation, and uh, and we thought of just the the format of it being kind of more conversational uh, would hopefully help land with you all better in terms of so, the ways that some of the things that Peter will be sharing. So it actually, and that's why he's got the fancy headset mic, I and do, I just have I this because right? I'm actually going to be doing yeah no, this it, more it, than I'll be actually <laughs> speaking um, and sh- hearing from him. But we also, you know, you mentioned having the not having your your wife with you and yeah. the, the the difference that that made in that marriage retreat, right? It we really also want to acknowledge. I mean, these last three days, um, while it's been really great to journey together and have con- kind of sense of consistency and continuity, there's both a strength to that, but there's also a weakness as well. Because you know, we're we're up here as as, as two white males yeah. um, talking about all these different issues, and there's a lot of other different perspectives. And I want to just say that in the sense of that we're not going to be done with this conversation after today. And a lot of these questions and these themes, they'll be teed back up again in some ways in the spring semester as we're journeying through Ephesians. And remember the first half of it's all about identity and who we are in Christ and what he's done with us. The second half of it is all about how we live that out. And he, Paul Galt walks through literally every single major relationship um, and, and within each social construct. And, and so we're going to be being able to hear when it gets to mar- you know, the marriage chapter in, in Ephesians 5. And it talks also about sexual morality and talks about husbands and wife and submission and all that stuff. And how do we make sense of that and be able to hear from um, married couples and how they're working that out. So know that this is going to be coming again. We'll have different perspectives that we'll be weaving in. So we're in this for the long haul is what I'm trying to say. Love it. So, um, so for this morning, though, there's a, a few things. Uh, I, I titled them uh, Capstner's Core Four questions. Oh, so yeah. I don't know if that's good your, title. I, didn't, I, yeah, I just came up with that. that. That's really so, good. Yeah. But I, one of the things that we've talked about in this re- reality of, of identity, of sexuality, this conversation around faith, gender, and sexuality, um, is, is that idea of, of the, the pornography, I think we could say epidemic yeah. um, in our culture and, and specifically in the West and the yep. multi-billion dollar industry that it is. Yeah. Um, this is a hard vice and an addiction for so many. Yeah. And I know I've voiced before, this has been part of my past and my story of journeying through this and working and overcoming and, and walking in victory of this. But uh, you talk about there's a difference between behavior management and true freedom in pornography. So yeah. how would you yeah, share yeah, yeah, and kind yeah. of instruct us in that? And we just got done with about three or four class periods of my sexuality class. So my students that are out there in that class, thank you. It was just really sweet space over these last several class periods to explore this subject a little bit more. Uh, because your reference point of 
the difference between behavior management, which I would argue is the primary approach to dealing with pornography, uh, and the difference between that and actual freedom is so fundamentally important that if we don't pursue the freedom part, we will, even if we manage our behavior in the best way possible, we can still be enslaved to it. And, uh, and what I mean by that is, uh, I, I don't know what your sort of teaching around pornography was in the church in terms of how to deal with it, but primarily for me was along the lines of set up a system of some kind, whether it's through accountability groups or internet blockers and all of these different mechanisms that will help you control acting out on pornography. And these, these things, they can do all of that, but uh, I don't know if God is as fussed by our behavior as God is knowing that if he can get our heart, then he knows our behavior will follow. And we've talked a lot about that in the last several class periods, but if you're like me, when I was going through a journey of pornography from 18 to 22 in particular, um, there would be this cycle, right? You would, uh, you would say, I'm, I don't want to do that anymore, and you maybe put some, some blockers in place or whatever it was, and then inevitably you would fail somewhere along the line in that process. And then you'd feel all bad about it, and you would sort of do this brave heart spirituality kind of thing. I never will do it again. I promise, Lord. I promise. Just make me never do it again. And you last for like three days, and then cock-a-doodle-doo, the core, you know, and then you've denied Jesus again. And, uh, and you're right back into it, and you're, okay, well, I need better accountability groups, and I need better internet blockers, and better ways to manage the behavior, and you're just, each day gets to be consumed by it. And, uh, and you're thinking about it, and you don't realize that you're viewing people through the lens of sexual potentiality before you even just see them. You already are seeing them sort of as sexual objects. I'm sure there's many people in this room that know of what I speak. And, uh, and so it's already happening, and they're like, now I've got to bounce my eyes and all of this sort of stuff. So bouncing your eyes is another kind of way to try to manage the behavior. And I remember in getting really good at managing my behavior, I still felt not free. And remember asking God, you know, God, I bet you're not the champion eye bouncer in the sky. Like, I bet when you look at your creation, I'm guessing that when you see the women and the men in this world, you're not just, like, bouncing your eyes around like that. And, you know, every once in a while, Jesus had a really bad day, and he has to text the Spirit to help him out, you know, or whatever. I mean, uh, and, and <laughs> see, this? I'm just mad. Okay, so... Um, I began to ask God, you know, is there actual freedom in this? Could, could I see the women in the world the way that you do, or vice versa? The question could be, if you're a female, do, can, do you see the men the way that God does, and where would the freedom become? Because if I was struggling with murder, for example, Justin, <laughs> okay, so hang with me for a minute. If I was, str- <laughs> we'll see where this one goes. Um, if I was struggling with murder, it's not like I would set up an accountability group to like manage the behavior, right? And be like, I'm going to get together a bunch of guys on a Wednesday murder night. Murder management. And- <laughs> that sounds really scary. <laughs> what churches have that as a ministry? Chapel right? yet, I okay, mean, yeah. okay. So I'm struggling with murder, right? And you know, we get together on Wednesday night and you check in and you're like, you know, I had a reasonable week. I felt pressed a couple of times, but never actually went there. Uh, and you know, the next person checks in and is like, yeah, oh, wow, I didn't even think about it. It was a great week. All glory to be God. You know, and, uh, and then the next person checks in and is like, yeah, I managed to text a buddy just before. <laughs> right? And then the last person's like, I, you know, I, I, I slipped up. I mean, <laughs> what? What are we talking about here? You know? And so... You hear the sirens coming. Yeah, right, yeah. right. So I get it. I mean, if somebody's struggling with murder, it's a great idea to put them in jail for a bit to give some, like, blockers to their behavior. But it's only the extent of this beautiful invitation of Proverbs of guard your heart. Guard, guard, 
Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of your life, meaning the interior world of passion and interest and desire, the hidden world of self from which come the, the behaviors of our life. What does it mean that, and could it be possible that God would actually set us free on this level of our heart so our passions and interests and desires are actually in alignment with his kingdom so when I see the people of this world around me, I actually see them as God might see them. Now, we've just spent six and a half hours in class walking through all of this, and there's no chance I can duplicate that here. But I will say this, in the good news of the beautiful gospel of Jesus who has conquered sin and death and actually brings his salvation into our time and space to set us free from this power of sin at work in us, right? I mean, we just keep talking along these levels. But what if Jesus was actually real? What if we could enter into an invisible, though very real, relationship with the risen Lord who brings his redemptive resources that transforms our heart in such a way as he is the potter and we are the clay and we're formed in his image, and pretty soon I see the women and the men the way that he does. I will never forget the moment, Justin, when after four long years of pain, turmoil, repentance, suffering, all of that, um, suddenly I was walking around in a mall one day, and I was like, whoa, I uh, think I just saw those women in an entirely different sort of way and I don't even know how to give language to it yet because so unfamiliar and so foreign was it in this sad enslaving behavior management journey I'd never experienced all that and all of a sudden it's like I, there was no sexual potential in fact they were lovely but not lovely by some weird American standard because then the men in the mall were lovely and pretty soon I could see image bearing in a way that still to this day escapes language but I don't have internet blockers on my computer I don't, I've been set free I only have eyes for my wife. It's not just a romantic notion. You actually can. Um, when when uh, you are set free and the truth comes that sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I think if we can figure out more how to talk about and engage in the kind of environments in which we work towards freedom with a beautiful Savior who has conquered sin and death um, and a spirit brings us to his kind of life, uh, then we can actually have freedom from some of this stuff. And then you don't think, I mean, some of the things that my friends told me when I was finally free, they're like, Capsner, your eyes are wider open, and I don't really know why. Tell me more. Capsner, you laugh with freedom, and I don't quite get it. You cry at the drop of a hat now. There's a sense of wonder that's being restored in your life. Like, all the stuff that this drives out of you, and I have such, such unbelievable sympathy for all of you in this room, and us too. We live in this crazy, over-sexualized environments without the voices of shepherd that help us guide along the way. If you're struggling with porn, of course you're struggling with porn. It would be weird if you weren't. The imitation in a place that we have like this is there's actually a kingdom of hope and freedom and peace and it doesn't happen overnight like God's a genie in a bottle. But if you want to go on the redemptive suffering journey, um, there will be freedom on the other side of it. Yeah, that's such, oh, that's such an important word of encouragement. I think really just to summarize what you're saying, I think if we can actually look at the way other, look at people the way that God does means that we're yeah. seeing them through a lens of love, like yeah. true love. And, and I think, you know, as we've talked about gender dysphoria we've talked about dating dysphoria yesterday there is a love dysphoria of really you know in our culture yeah. and, and, and another kind of point if you're going into the second question is how um how is god's love different from our culture's love of, of endorsement where yeah. you know love is purely subjective or relative to your own desires your own dreams whatever feels good that type of thing so how is yeah what is the key difference there between yeah. God's love. Well, and it does. I think it connects right to that pornography conversation we were just having, because I think one of the reasons why we don't want to come into the light with where we're struggling in the darkness is because of our view of God, of who God actually is. And, and especially when we sort of mess it up from a cultural standpoint where, I don't know about you, but 
I, I feel like I sort of have two options right now in light of all of this conversation on sexuality. I can either be a lover, somebody like Jesus, or I can be a hater. Like, that's how it's framed, right? And lover simply means that I accept, embrace, and endorse, and agree with. And hater means I don't accept, embrace, and agree. And so we don't, you know, and then we're sort of stuck. As if love and agreement are synonymous in the text, and they are not synonyms in the least in the text. Um, there's so many different beautiful words for God's love in the biblical text, all of which means that God is for us, but God is not here to come alongside of our journey to endorse our journey and bless our journey uh, according to how we would define all of that. So I, I would say in a nutshell, Justin, there's three of the five words, and I hate to break it down in this way, but just for the sake of time, um, the, the Old Testament word of ahava, love of God, that is ahava, it, it literally means that God has a tender-hearted, passionate, fierce affection for us that drives a pursuit towards wholeness. This is the love of a father has for a child, right? Or a mother has for a child. It is a passionate, fierce affection that is, uh, then when you combine it with agape, a second kind of love, which I think a lot of us might have heard of the word agape love. How many of you have heard of agape love before? Right? Probably not as many of you have heard about ahava, but agape love is this idea of a self-sacrifice for the sake of another. But when agape is not with ahava, then it just becomes this like, I don't want to do it. I really don't like you. I can't kind of stand you, but I got to guess to sacrifice my stuff. So, you know, I'll give you my coffee instead of drinking it myself or whatever. You know, it's just, it's, it's this, this sort of gritted teeth agape. But when you pair the beauty of a tender-hearted affection for and a desire for wholeness, and so I'm willing to give up anything that I might have for the sake of your wholeness, Yowzers, now we're talking about the cross, and now we're talking about why God came, and it's for our wholeness. And that kind of love, like, we, we live on an acre in, uh, in just a little west of Excelsior, and we have coyotes in our backyard. And as a parent who likes his five kids, you know, I have a tender-hearted affection for my five kids, right? You know, and they're like, we want to play ghosts in the graveyard tonight, you know, which then I never know because it's close to Harry Potter, and now we really don't know if we should do that. Uh, <laughs> Another topic. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> So hypothetically, we're playing, you know, some supernatural game in the graveyard, and, um, and, and, but the coyotes are out there, right? And so, you know, it's like, Dad, we want to play ghosts in the graveyard. I'm like, you can, but you might get eaten, you know? And, uh, and so, but Dad, you don't love us. You don't love us. You're not, you know, that's what we want to do. You know, that's the kind of love of our culture as opposed to, and you don't understand. Um, and in fact, if you do go out there and you're outside the bounds of what we've suggested, don't go out and play with the coyotes, I might actually come out, and if you're being threatened by the coyotes, I might actually stand in the gap and take the blow for you. Um, not because I need to prove something about myself as, as if I'm an insecure father or God is some insecure being in the sky, as if our sin offends God all the time. Yeah. What offends God is when we continue to resist his redemptive resources and shake our fist only because he's like, oh, I have wholeness waiting for you. You know, we think, I think we unfortunately think that we're sinners in the hands of an angry God. Um, we're sinners in the hands of a God of Ahava. You know, I, I would suggest a very unfortunate sermon that got really unfortunately misrepresented, created a perception that God is mostly mad at us. Um, it says in the text that God is love. Anytime his anger comes, it's a passing movement after a long time of wooing. It's always uh, motivated by disappointment and grief. This idea that God is perpetually offended by us keeps us in the darkness in our in our sin when the very redemptive activity of a god of ahava who has a fierce and tender-hearted affection for us and will give everything up so that we can be whole um, i might want to come into the light to that kind of god who not only does that but he has all of the redemptive possibility having beaten sin and death to set us free 
And then you add one last piece of it, the hesed love of God, which is the, the love that Ruth showed to Naomi. It's also the love of Psalm 23. Surely your hesed will follow me all the days of my life. Um, it is a never forsaking kind of love. Like he will always be pursuing us in these places. And uh, so there's a lot that could be said, but I, th I think a reconstitution of a vision of the Father in heaven that's biblically consistent and for us, not to come alongside and endorse us, but to call us towards wholeness, to stop us from playing with the coyotes because he loves us is, uh, I think, a really important starting point. So, again, we spend weeks in my class just yeah. trying to reconstruct an image of the Heavenly Father from the text. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, and that, I think that tension is one that's important, that, that, that it is the both and of God's, God's wrath and justice and righteousness and holiness right. towards sin. Right. But also, this beautiful facets, all these facets of his love and how those converge at the cross, and that because we, we can come into the light because, because of Christ. Right. And, um, and, it's, and his wrath is always motivated by that which is disfiguring his creation. Right. It is not directly at the creation itself. The only time it ever is in the text is those people who are representing God's kingdom are actually keeping people out of God's kingdom. And even then, God is moving them aside so that his wholeness can come. But this idea that we are in the hands of a perpetually angry father, um, we might have a father on earth like that. That is not the father of heaven. So uh, someone who, who we've had in chapel before and is a, is a friend of our institution university and uh, serves and speaks and writes to the organization called True Face, John Lynch, had this, yeah. this, this phrase that, what if I could find a place safe enough where the worst about me could be made known and I would discover that I'd be loved more, not less, in the telling of it. Yeah. I and mean, I think about it. Paul says where, you know, sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And of course, right. as you learn that and are broken by grace, yeah. you don't keep sinning so that grace might increase. That's dumb. But, but where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. I mean, this is what you're talking about related yeah. to this. Yeah. And, yeah. and that type of love, I mean, Jesus incarnated that. Yeah. So we see that perfectly and fully in him. But also, I think he set us up to live in such a way that we need to embody that to one another. And it was actually on this campus, in this space, in my season here as a college student, where God put people in my life where that was true. Um, the worst about me was made known, things I never thought that I would share with anyone, and things about my sexual history and past that I thought I would, yeah. skeletons that I would take to the grave with me. And then when I shared and I stepped it and opened that up and allowed others in, and I, f I found that I was loved more, yeah. not less, in the telling of yeah. it. And I think, amazing. so, but that, that gives the idea of, you know, it was Jesus as the head of the church, and then we are his body, that this is the type of posture that we lean in with. How, how can we as the church best help yeah. and come alongside the brokenness and all of the craziness and all of the chaos and confusion surrounding this, this sexually charged and crazed culture that we have? That yeah, are I mean, I think that's sort of third of the four questions uh, this morning, and I don't know that I have the answer entirely for that, Justin, but I think one thing I think we could at least wonder about as the church is I've had the opportunity to be teaching young people since the early 2000s, and specifically sex and gender classes um, at, at two different institutions for the last 10 years. And if in God's kingdom, the way you discern those things that are fruit-bearing uh, and, and you, you discern those things that are good and evil is, is the fruit that's born over time, like what results from our efforts in the present into the future? You can't hardly tell what's good and evil in the present until you let it play out for a little bit in, into the future. And here's the troubling thing that I've seen is um, I've had such, um, it, will, it will make me cry, I've had such sacred space with young people over all of these years where they've trusted me with their journey, whether it's in papers that they've written or conversations that we've had. Um, and I mean, it, it just feels like a convergence of heaven and earth when these things are happening, right? When, when the guard is getting let down and the fig leaves are being dropped and we're actually like in this space together, 
um, and, and what I've come to at least wonder about um, is what is the fruit that's being born out of the efforts that we're doing as a church according to the metrics of success that we currently have as a church? Because I'm getting the best, the best of um, evangelicalism represented in this room. Lots of different churches. And if you in this room or anything like my journey has been, as well as the journey of hundreds of my students in the past, um, I'm guessing there's a whole lot of pornographic addiction in the room, and I'm guessing there's a whole lot of, I can't believe I went too far, could I ever possibly be restored uh, in this? I, I'm guessing there's a lot of questions about attraction and dysphoria and all of these sorts of things. And so here's the, we are the fruit of what the institutional church has been. And because my whole life is anchored in the church, that is my job vocationally to be in the church. In the last 10 years, this emphasis on we've got to get bigger and multi-campus and stream and be relevant and make sure we have skinny, light, macchiato things that people are drinking while the spotlight is on the worship slash rock leader and we're all sort of separated from each other in a funny YouTube video sermon of 17 minutes that is relevant. And I just want to say, isn't relevance freedom? Isn't that what we're talking about? Isn't that what is relevant? And what is the message of the kingdom that might actually come and set us free? Because we can drive hordes of people and, and, and to big spaces and warehouses and we can have a really fun hour together. And if we're all dying, what's the point? Um, and so I would say there's a big, long look in the mirror that needs to happen about what we're doing and why we're doing it uh, in these places. And that is not, this is coming from a place I love the church. It is my life. But I also have lived long enough in the church that I know we get really screwed up by the metrics of, of success. And we say, like I was at a church the other day and they said, we just opened our new campus and there was this many people there and isn't God good and wasn't it a blessing? And I just think, I can't, so it's not anything about the blessing of the text. Um, could we be set free? What are we teaching? What are we doing? What do relationships look like? All of that is a really big subject, but I think it's really worth looking at yeah. uh, in these places. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you've referenced a, a metaphor that I've heard you say in chapel, and you've probably, you know, your students may have heard if you've had Dr. Capster in class, um, you know, of this idea of, of a generation to discover the book of Josiah yeah. When, yeah, it, when it comes to sexuality. And I'm assuming yeah. you're, you're referencing, you know, Josiah and coming a king at eight, eight years old, ripe old age of eight years old. And yeah. <laughs> Second Chronicles 34, and it says that he walked in the ways of his father David. He walked wholeheartedly. Yeah. He went down and took down all of the idols of the land, and in the process and the destruction of the temple, they found the book of the law, yeah. and it was read, and he broke down and wept, and he, he went back to the old paths of what was there and found a new power, yeah. and he led a generation yep. um, in, in a new trajectory. So what, how does that That's apply, great. that metaphor apply to yeah. this conversation? Yeah, I've been saying that a lot lately, and, and people asked me this last weekend at the marriage retreat, so, you know, Captain, do you see hope in the next generation? And, and dear Lord, I do. Um, and you're all sitting here. I'm not just like, I'm actually seeing hope in you, and it doesn't mean that you're not broken and fractured in your sexuality. I'm not talking about the hope is that you're all cleaned up and you can raise your hands in worship and isn't God good. I'm talking about that there's a possibility that you as a generation could increasingly learn what it means to be set free uh, by a beautiful and powerful reality of an actual kingdom of God and not a Christian game that we're playing in that. And in those places, um, the hope that I have is that you would stop playing with the coyotes. Because my generation played with way too many coyotes. The coyotes of divorce and the coyotes of, of cohabitation and the coyotes of sleeping together and not thinking much of it and the coyotes of watching all sorts of ridiculous stuff like orange and black and chartreuse and shades of whatever and all of this and thinking that this is life and, and, and playing with the coyotes of the phone and now playing with the coyotes of 
gender transition. We may not understand all of this stuff, but I promise you, these are, there's no life coming from all of this stuff, from continuing to play with it. Um, and I'm, I'm really captured by this idea that your generation could uh, rediscover and be the generation of, the, uh, of rediscovering the, the book of the law, the Josiah generation that can reconstitute what beauty and wonder and health and holiness is in sexuality because to be a redemptive person, and we talked about this in class today, is to be part of God's redemptive journey is that you are taking the pain of the present and all the hits and all of the turmoil that you are living in primarily because of the decisions of past generations uh, like mine about what has happened in the church and all of our sexuality to take the pain of the present and bear that on behalf of a, f of a future of freedom and truth and hope. Um, you will not likely have the life that you desire and want. The, 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 the confusion and suffering and having gone too far is going to be part of the deal, but you can bear that pain in the present. That's what it means to pick up your cross and to follow Jesus on behalf of a future that is not yet here. Can you have that book of the Josiah moment um, where you, you walk in something like this and rediscover what sexuality is actually meant for? Not all the coyote baloney of our culture, but a beautiful and wonderful reality that God has invited us into. And I, I think we're, I don't want us to miss a moment here. And I just, you know, I, I love and respect all of you. But if, you're, if your body's in the motion of, of, of moving, you're not in the heart posture of receiving. And I think, I don't want you to miss what's, what's happening here. And I want to invite us all just to, just to stop right now in our tracks. And I want to ask, you know, can we just, I want to thank you, uh, Peter, yeah, being for, for being here and your investment, your love um, for our campus. And, um, you are an incredible man of God, a dear friend. It's been great getting to know you, and I'm honored to journey together with you, with all of you, um, and, and going after the Lord and actually experiencing this abundant life that Jesus right. provides. And that's the best thing for our world. It isn't, it isn't to fight against the darkness. Right. It's to show the light. And, and so um, would, you, would you pray love to. Uh, for us um, love as to. we go from here and pray that we would be that Josiah generation together. Yeah, I would love it. And thank you, Justin. These three yeah. days have been delightful to be with all of you as well. So would you just stand and let's just, I'll just pray a blessing over you on behalf of all of this. And I promise all of you that I will um, give you every last drop that I have. However, whatever it's worth, maybe it's a lot, maybe it's a little, but um, and whatever years ahead I have here at this place, um, we're in this thing together. And I know that, uh, that we can continue to walk this out, Justin, in that. So um, let's pray over this, God, uh, for all the coyotes with which we've played. Um, grant us your peace and uh, let us see the face of your love, even in the midst of all of those coyotes that you're still calling us towards wholeness. And um, long after Justin and I are gone <laughs> from this stage, uh, I ask that you would call forth people from this place to be your Josiah generation, to recover and recapture, and thus shine the light of what beautiful sexuality can be. For hearts that are being stirred even this morning, quicken them through your spirit and protect them through your grace uh, to be those redemptive people on behalf of the future. Thank you for the way that you continue to shine your light in the midst of the darkness. In your name, amen. Amen.